Testing one, two, three on my mic. Testing one, two, three on my mic. I'm Todd Meisner. And I'm Todd Welbert. And we're talking pictures with former Dispatch Argus photo intern gone on to great fame and fortune, or at least fame, uh, Marianne Mather Morgan. We knew her as Marianne Mather, and I still call her Mather because I can't get used to the Morgan, even though. How long have you been married for, Marianne? Um, 13 years now. Hello. Yeah, well, (laughs) you are one of the three photo editors on the Tribune's, one of the coolest things the Tribune has ever put out called Gang, it's a book called Gangsters and Grifters, Classic Crime Photos from the Chicago Tribune. Yes, yes. So three photo editors worked on this book, Robin Gottridge, Aaron Mistkowski, and myself. And we had a heck of a fun time doing it. It was, um, it was a really, I mean, even though it's obviously crime photographs, but being able to dig through the Tribune's archives was phenomenal. Well, speaking of the Tribune archive, I understand it is deep underneath the bowels of the Tribune. Set the scene <laughs> for us. How how does it how does one end up in the bowels of the Tribune to do a book like this? Well, I'll tell you first of all that the the first time I actually that they took me down there, uh, I got lost, and so I, I couldn't figure out where we were. The the, the what we call the basement vault um, is five floors below Michigan Avenue. So to get there, we have to take two different elevators, one on the side of the building that goes down to lower level two, and we have to walk around the basement, uh, that lower level two basement, to get to lower level five. Now, you know, if you've ever seen the Tribune Tower, it's a, it was built in 1924, I believe, somewhere around there. It's a large Gothic structure. Being at the base of the absolute bottom of that is a little, you know, it's a little nerve-wracking, but it is very cool because you're seeing, you know, in the in the basement floor, there's coal, uh, there's tracks where um, the coal bins would run along the, the floor and wow. the, the concrete. It's fantastic. So, but it's, um, the vault is down there. It's a temperature-controlled room that houses, you know, 60,000 glass plate 4x5 negatives and in total 300,000 4x5 negatives, the others being the acetate negatives that came a little bit later. So the Tribune decided that they wanted to um, inventory the glass plates, which came earlier from the early 1900s to roughly around 1933-34 and see what was down there. And that was about two years ago. And a lot of what we found was crime photos from the roaring 20s. And of course, you know, if you know Chicago, you know, that's Capone, Dillinger, and a lot of the typical names. So, yeah, the, the pictures in the book are just absolutely mind blowing, especially because of the fact that a lot of these pictures were shot with speed graphics. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's one shot and done. Now, you know, we go and point our camera at criminals and it's, you know, and you get, you know, 40 <laughs> frames in two seconds. And then, and not, then it was poof, reload. Yeah. You can't reload. You can't, um, yeah, you can't imagine how it was. I can't imagine how it was for the photographers at that, at that time period. First of all, photography was still in the early stages, especially photography that was mobile, meaning that the speed graphics made them lighter, the cameras lighter so that you could carry them around. And you can tell from the photos in the book that many of them are posed. And that was because of the nature of the technology. These speed graphic can, cameras could not handle motion, or, you know, the, the photographers really couldn't carry them around and follow things that were happening. So a lot of the photos are posed or staged, um, and that was kind of, you know, how they covered news back then. 
Well, I, the one book of the the one photo in the book of the woman screaming in the inner back the, car, in yeah. the back of the car. Yeah. Tell us a little about yeah. that one. You know, um, let's see. I have, I've got the book in front of me. I'm, I'm working on the next book that we're doing, so now I have to go back and review all this goodness. <laughs> now, um, is that, I, is that, is are this you book talking a about... Is, wait a minute. First, is the new book a secret? Did you just break a, is, is something? Is we breaking news <laughs> here on the talking... Our first scoop, Todd. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not exactly a secret, but I'll let you think it is. Damn it. Um, we're doing the Century of Progress, the 1933-1934 World's Fair. Oh, that's going to be awesome. That'll be cool, yeah. That'll be cool. Yeah. Yeah, we've just finished editing the book, so I'm, I'm pretty excited. So I'm, I'm kind of knee-deep in that right now, and I'm taking a look back at the gangsters and grifters. I think you're talking about uh, Grace Rainierson on page 86, or yeah. are you talking about um, the woman in the back of the car, Agnes Stathatos? Oh, no, it's to, the woman in the back seat of yeah. the car. Yeah, so that one is Agnes Stathatos, who had to identify her brother, um, who had been, you know, as they, as they say, bumped off. Um, he took the Chicago ride and got uh, was killed in the back of his car. So she had identified him that that was his body. And so that for for that time period, that was a little bit later on, maybe forties or fifties. That time period, there you get you start to see a little bit more photojournalism happening in in the pictures. Oh, okay. As, as you as we started looking at these pictures, the twenties and thirties, very staged, and it starts to develop as it gets older, obviously, as the cameras and technology change too. And how much of this did you learn during the vetting process about the history of photography and how it worked? I mean, I'm sure you had a base knowledge of it, but did you right. did you learn, you know, did your depth of photo knowledge just get that much deeper by working on this project? Oh, for sure. I mean, obviously, you know, going to school and learning about, you know, speed graphic cameras and the old technology, but when you're really confronted with it, with the negatives that are glass negatives, four by five, I can't imagine having to carry those around, not break them, first of all, you know, with all your gear that you're carrying around and then just having maybe one, two shots possible from whatever event you're going to and then that's it. It gave me a completely different view of what photographers had to do back at that time period to get the photo. Um, the other thing I will say is on the research end, you know, <laughs> it gave me a, a new appreciation for filing your negs, which is an old saying <laughs> to, organize, to, to, to organize back when we used negatives, but to organize your stuff and uh, your pictures, your frames, because um, the early photos, the way that in the basement that they're set up, is they're in these boxes, and they're numbered, but there's no discernible order for these boxes wow. that we've been able to figure out. And it's Aaron and I have really, you know, racked our brains on that. But the, the, each individual glass plate is in a little paper sleeve, and on it may or may not be written any information in the dialect of the time. So as photographers, I think that we get, you know... Um, we use the slang of the time or we'll just write our last name or the shortened version of somebody's name. Oh, you know, Mize has this for Meisner, you know? Right. Well, I had to learn that Mize meant Meisner and that's the photographer who took it, but in the 1920s version. So um, all those negatives, the way that they, they, their captioning information was in handwritten script in pencil and uh. may or may not have included the date. So it would say, like, capital W, lowercase m, with a line over it. That's William. Oh. And then for more for more fun stuff, like bootlegger, instead of, you know, we'd say there was a robbery. Back then, you know, they didn't say there was a robber. It was a, uh, a bandit 
or there was not a person, you know, bootlegger was a common term. So we had to kind of actually, Aaron and I watched Ken Burns' Prohibition um, <laughs> a okay. series that he did just so we could learn some of the terminology from that time period. The slang, so, the, the, yeah. the way yeah. those crazy kids were talking in the 20s. Yeah, and this was basically because we had to research what these photos were that we had in our hands. We weren't sure what they were. And so. was was there anyone you guys could turn to, either like historical society or, you know, even somebody within the, the Trib's, uh, you know, vast uh, pool of retirees? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. We, we didn't actually turn to any historians because we have the entire database of the Tribune online at our fingertips to research. So what I would do wow. is I would get one of these photos. We'd say, this photo is fantastic, but we don't know what the story is behind it. And we really, for the book, wanted to make sure that not only were they really compelling images, but we wanted to make sure that the stories behind it were also compelling. Um, that was a really important thing for us. So I would do the research where I would sit down and I would go into the archives of the database of the Tribune archives and try to find that exact photo if it was printed, if I could, or at least find an article or story written about it. So I spent a lot of time mining those types of databases. And then also, you know, it, it was mostly online research, I guess, because there was um, there's a there's a homicide database that Northwestern University produced. Um, and that was also very helpful. So, did, how long from beginning to end? How long did it take you to produce the book? You know, I'm not exactly sure because we started slowly. You know, it, it would be over a year for sure, and that's because we scanned in probably. I think we scanned in around four thousand of these negatives, and then had to edit it down. Maybe it was a little less than that. Um, but I don't think that we had a clear idea of what we had in our hands in the beginning until we started just scanning them in. Did so. it? Did it start? So it started as the you. They wanted you to catalog, and then it then it kind of morphed into the book. No, they, well, they once we had the um, the indexing done of the glass plates, we definitely knew that we wanted to focus on crime because we saw in that there was so much crime. But since there was so much, so many photos of crime, we we kind of, you know, had to just kind of take a box, you know, pick up a box, go through it. Oh, this looks interesting. Scan it. Nope, that's not interesting. You know, and then move on. Right. And then when you open up the boxes, the glass plates and the acetate negatives, which roughly are, you know, changed over in 1933 and went to about the 60s or 70s, those are mixed in with oh, the glass God, plates. What a nightmare. It's a nightmare. So then, you know, we'd be in a box looking at glass plates, and I'd say, well, this glass plate didn't really work out, but man, look at this one from 1945, you know? Mm -hmm. So it, it, we kind of, there's definitely a lot of wormholes we went down. <laughs> cool. So, you know, I, 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 my favorite picture from the book is, or at least one of them, is the, is the John Dillinger picture of him walking down the hallway really casually after getting arrested. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. my favorite part of that photo isn't the look on Dillinger's face. <laughs> it's the photographer diving out yeah. of the way with a yeah. speed graphic in one hand and a cigarette in the other. Now, you think it's a cigarette, don't you? But I want you to pull that photo up. Okay. If you can. I think I've got it online. Yeah. And I want you to blow it up. That's I, uh, Aaron and I and Robin all loved that photo. Couldn't believe it because as a photographer, we're like, wow, look at that. He, that's the working circumstances of the photographer, right? That's actually, that's a glass plate. 
Oh. We thought it was we thought it was a cigarette as well. I'm like, wow, look at that. He's got a cigarette in his hand. And then I blew it up. And I said, wait a minute. That's a glass plate. <laughs> so, oh, now I like it even more because he's changing. He's changing. He's changing film. Yeah. He's reloading. He's changing film. <laughs> yeah. Changing film and diving out of the way all at the same time. I don't. Yeah. That's just that. Now that makes it even cooler. I, I think yeah. one of the, the the truly interesting things about the book is what a different age. As far I mean, I know you had said that a lot of the earlier photos were probably posed, but how much access photographers and I would assume reporters as well had to things like crime scenes, and right. uh, I, I I mean that just blew me away that they're they're standing in the room and and how how different. Uh, must it have been for the publishers at the time to consider? Yeah, we'll we'll run a photo of this guy with a bullet hole in his head, and right, you know, it's stuff we would never do now. But oh, for sure. Well, I think the access is probably what shocks us all. Um, you know, it's the early the early time of photography reporting and newspapers and the crime. I think that all of that coming together, you know, in the early 1900s. And the photographers were really in cahoots. You know, they were working with the police officers. So if an officer was at a scene, they would call and say, hey, get so-and-so down here to get a picture of this, you know. Mm -hmm. And like the Jake Lingle photo where they lift up the sheet of, you know, covering the body so that the photographer can get the photo. Uh, It's a very different time back then where they were working hand-in-hand. Sometimes the photographers would get there first, you know. Um, But even if they didn't, it didn't matter. They would still get the picture. Um, whether or not they always ran them is another story. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, I can't, I wouldn't be able to find the exact photo in the printed paper of maybe the actual, you know, body or this or that. But, um, yeah, it's definitely interesting, the access that they had. Do you think that, you know, this is a great kind of look into Chicago's dark past. Um, does the book romanticize that era or does it kind of pull back the curtain on the reality of what you know, we see in the movies and road to perdition or any of the gangster right. movies and documentaries or whatever that kind of make these guys heroes for the right. sake of the story, but they're really ruthless sociopaths. Yeah. Well, I think it does both. I mean, there's nothing that we can, when we look at these photos, our only frame of reference for this type of stuff is the movies, the the cinematic quality of them, the film noirness. You know, that's what I see it, and it's hard to remember sometimes these were real people. But Aaron and I talked about wanting to make sure that we didn't just include the Capones and the Dillingers in this book, the well, you know, the household names that we wanted the average everyday people that things happened to, the crimes that happened to them so that we could really pull back the curtain, as you say, and and show like, this wasn't pretty. This is what was going on back then. And we do tend to romanticize it. Who's your, you know, but, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, who's your favorite lesser gangster? Um, you know, it's hard to say. I I love the name West, West side, Frankie Pope. He ran all these (laughs) little, you know, small gang, uh, um, gambling businesses. And, um, so he, you know, he just, he, he was, um, he was a hustler, you know, and uh, I, I love that little story. But I also love, you know, the two girls who look like they're two teenage girls who are going around into homes and stealing. Mm-hmm. And the story that when the cops shook them, it said they literally dripped booty. The, you know, like the, the, the jewels that they had right. stolen were literally falling off of them and out of their coats. 
And I mean, these were just two young girls at that time period, you mm-hmm. know, just going around and being thieves. <laughs> Talk a little bit about the, the Leopold and Loeb photo. Yeah, that was pretty shocking when we found that. Um, there's a there's a couple photos that in our heads that Aaron and I talk about that shock us. And that Leopold and Loeb photo, when we scanned that in, I she and I both went, oh my gosh, you know, this is really something important. And then we had to go back and research and put connect the dots in the timeline of what happened with Leopold and Loeb, and we realized that that was the moment that they had confessed. Wow. And wow. it's. Yeah, and I don't remember the exact information that was on the sleeve of that negative that, that gave us that clue, but um, to see that photo, and we don't know if it ran uh, or if it ever did see the light of day, but to see that photo come alive in that moment, that's just shocking. Tell, tell people what like Leopold that. and Loeb did. They right, so murderers. Leopold and Loeb were the, were the, um, the, I think they were 18 and 19 or somewhere around 18 years old, and in 1924 they killed Bobby Franks. And it was the thrill kill. It was they wanted to see if they could commit the perfect crime. And um, they were well-educated. Um, they were already college, in college ahead of their years. And um, they had grown up on the wealthy side of Chicago. And they actually killed a person who lived in their same neighborhood. Um, and uh, they thought that they, they wanted to commit the perfect murder and get away with it. And it ended up being that one of them left their glasses at the, near the scene of the crime where they had dumped Frank's body. And so that these glasses were very expensive glasses. And back then they could trace them back to who had purchased them because they were so expensive. Wow. So that's wow. But you know, yeah, it, and then, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. You're more interesting than I am. Well, I was going to say their typewriter that they had, um, they had written an, a ransom note on a typewriter. And that was also found in the Jackson Park Lagoon. And typewriters were very much, um, you could... They mangled the keys on them so that they, you couldn't trace it back to that note. But um, they gave themselves away, you know, but with the with the typewriter and with the glasses. So, but it's it's interesting that the sociopathic behavior of of the thrill kill isn't. I mean, that happens today. Yes. You know. Yes. I mean, it's 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 you know. We got we got nut jobs with guns. I mean, look at the the truth yes. when we when we're taping Charleston. this. Yeah, the Charleston murder. Right. I mean, right. looking at that guy's eyes. I mean, he's a complete and total nut job. Yeah. You know? and, I, I mean, I think we we romanticize the past. We romanticize, you know, back in a time when there was no crime, and sure, there was less people and less crime. I'm I'm you know, statistics will say that, but there were still shocking things that happened, especially Leopold and Lowe shocked the nation. It was one of the biggest. Crimes, you know, crime of the century is how it was always stated. So. Mm-hmm. And you don't think that photo ran? You know, um, it's hard because our archives are technically, um, the archives are mixed with the publications that the Chicago Tribune um, purchased as well. Okay. So, so you know how, um, you know, the, the, the newspapers, how they are, yeah. the Chicago Herald Examiner became the Chicago Herald or the Chicago right. American, and then the Tribune owned all three. And so the, they're a mix of the archives of these early newspapers in the city. Um, and so we don't have the best access to check the Herald American, Herald, Herald Examiner, and these other papers online. Wow. Interesting. You know, I was I was I had a quick question, and I, I think I know the answer to this one. But I was hoping maybe you could explain. You, you, earlier, you had said scanning um, the process that you go through to to retrieve an image out of these uh, glass plates. Uh, I don't know if everyone may understand that, but uh, maybe you okay. give it a shot. 
Sure, sure. So once we grab the box, and obviously when we're downstairs in the basement, we're wearing protective gloves and um, protective face wear, and we bring them upstairs for a brief amount of time because we don't want the temperature change and moisture to affect and and degrade the, the slides or the frames. So what we've been doing is we have a very high-powered um, film scanner. And so we it's a flatbed scanner, and uh, we've been actually to try to minimize the amount that we are touching these, um, you know, 80- to 100-year-old glass plates. We just briefly brush them off, any dust off of them, and then that's it. We're not touching them or retouching them. We're not adding any fluids or anything to them. And, of course, we wear protective face gear, which is a face mask. That's a gas mask because these negatives, some of them do off-gas. Um, wow. And so we scan them in, and then the rest is history, <laughs> actually. So, they, I was going to say, then they go into a digital archive. and uh, Right, they go into a digital archive, and then, and then from there, from the digital archive, then I sit down and I start doing the research half of it to say, okay, what what is this event? And that's when I start mining through our old database of um, of, new, of tribunes. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a really it's a really really cool book, and I will tell you that as the person who hired you years ago as a young college student, <laughs> I could not be prouder of you for all of the tra- all the travails that you've gone through in your career to end up uh, on your feet. My God! Did you, I hope? I bet you that's going to record that motorcycle that yeah. just went by the building. We when you were talking about crime earlier, I don't know if you could hear it, but the, a, a, a police car went down a down. Oh, Fifth I couldn't a- hear it. Went down okay. Fifth Avenue. I wonder if it ended up on the tape. But anyway, it was kind of. You thought I put the sound effect in? It was kind of interesting. <laughs> um, but you know, you, here, here's where you are now. You're at the Tribune, and I I kind of want to talk about because we have. Um, we hope to help educate in this podcast some of the younger photographers that are trying to break into the business and get an idea of the perseverance that it takes to to succeed. I mean, you didn't just walk out of college or walk out of this internship into a job at the right. Tribune. You went through a lot of stuff to get there, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I, I think, talk about a little about that. Yeah, I, I think that anybody's journey to where they, you know, get to is going to be a long and fun and sometimes hard one. Um, after college, obviously, I came to you, and the internship that you guys had had been recommended to me by a good friend, John Kim, who is also a photographer here at the Tribune now. And, you know, after I left you guys, after I think a year internship, um, I went back to the, my hometown area and decided to freelance in Chicago. And freelancing in Chicago at that time, you know, there were, it's, it was a huge field, lots of photographers. But, you know, I knew that this is what I wanted to do and I wasn't worried about it. I just kept plodding away at it. And um, I would take jobs no matter what. They paid even a job to photograph people at headshots for $25 a piece. You know, you just did it because it would help you get to know people in the business. Mm-hmm. And then word of mouth, people would say, oh, you know, Marianne is somebody who could handle that. Let me recommend her. And that's how you get the ball rolling. And I met um, a couple people who freelanced for a Copley newspaper, the Elgin Courier News. And back in the day, it was still Copley. And so I met them, started freelancing for them, and then they hired me on full time. A year later, Hollinger International purchased the newspaper, and it changed hands. Still the same thing. I was still there for about five years. And then I just kept kind of moving around, 
the newspaper, the suburban publications that this company owned. They also owned the Aurora Beacon News. And then this is basically the Sun-Times in the western suburbs. And so I moved around, and every time there was a new position that opened up, you know, I would I would apply for it and say, what the heck, you know, this would be fun to try. I'm, I'm always open to new things. So anyway, I went to the Beacon News as the photo editor and still shot pictures for them. And then, of course, you know, the Sun-Times decided to lay people off in 2011, and I got to be one of those people. Um, they laid off all of their photo staff in the western suburbs, or in the suburbs first, and then they laid off their downtown staff um, a year later. And then, um, so then I was home for about a year, and, you know, I knew I know a lot of people in the business, and that's what happens. Once you're in, you keep working, and your name gets around, and it gets referred, and I just kept those avenues open, you know, those calling and talking to people. And um, the Tribune called, and they said, we, we need an editor. And I said, I'll be there. So, you know, even when I thought I wasn't going to be in newspapers anymore, I still came back to newspapers. So right. <laughs> you can't ever give up hope. Yeah. <laughs> but, now, do you still shoot at all? You know, I just shoot at home for myself now. Um, I don't shoot. Since I've come here at the Tribune, I'm just an editor. And I have to say, even though I love shooting, that when it's blizzarding out and I send the photographers out to go get pictures of the blizzard, I'm really happy that I'm inside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to say, I've always suspected that. Hey, I go out in the bad weather. I don't just send you out, you big baby. <clears throat> yeah, no, I, I was, that was, Todd asked a good question because you now, and that leads to my next question. Who does the assignments? Does Robin do the assignments? How do the assignments, how is the, the structure of the, how do right. hand, the assignments end up in the hands of of uh, Brian and John and, and the rest of the crew there? Sure, sure. We have a main assignment editor, and that's Mark Hume. He, um, it had been Mario Petiti, and I think a lot of people know that name because he had been in the business for th- over 30 years. But Mark, he just retired. So Mark Hume is the assignment editor now. And he had been a, a photo editor here for a long time as well. And so he's the main assignment editor who's going to oversee kind of the big schedule. You know, he's driving the bus, as we like to say. And um, then we also have the about, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, six other, seven other photo editors that are helping him out throughout the day, move schedules around, call freelancers. So we'll try to help him out. But he there has to kind of be one person in charge. Right. To, to know what's going on. And then the rest of us have different assigned duties throughout the day, and these can all shift. So we have one person who's booking the photos for the metro section of the paper. We have one you know, person who's booking the nation, world news, the business section. And then there's a lot of us that are on the web. And that's mainly what I do is um, I feed the beast. I, I get those photos up online as, as fast as possible create a lot of photo galleries to showcase our great photographers and what they do. Um, and then anything else in video, video, video. We do lots of that. And this, and this leads me to one of the, the best Instagram feeds on the web, <laughs> Vintage Tribune. It's my baby. I love it. And, um, that, and that's why I brought it up because this <laughs> the, the Chicago Tribune, you should brag because the Chicago Tribune Instagram feed in and of itself only has X. I don't. Would you know what it is off the top of your head? How many followers? I it think has? that they've. They might have hit a thousand. I'm not sure. I know that they were at 500 a while back, and they were really excited. But it's brand new. It's under a year old. So I should mention that. But <laughs> but your baby has a following of how many? 
Um, well, I know we surpassed 26,000. I think we're at 28,000. So, That's and we are one incredible. year old this July. Yeah, well, the, the other one's a year old too. You just outed them. I know. You, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I, Wow. I I, I think yeah. that is such a cool that's mm-hmm. such a cool idea and you know I listened to the to her talk about the um you know people are probably thinking who are listening locally and going why doesn't the dispatch put out a crime book? You know Rock Island was at the heart of the gangland stuff back in that mm-hmm. day and yes, yes. our archives are in a total shamble. I don't think yeah. I'm telling well, any secrets. It it I it is in a total shamble. It would yeah. I'd have to you know, I'd have to hire Marianne away from the Tribune and <laughs> let her loose in the back, and we, she'd come up with a with a pamphlet full of crime photos as opposed to a full book. But well, anyway. I will say this: that newspapers are newspapers; they're not libraries. You know, yeah. the, we we put the paper out, we the photographers shoot, and we go on to the next thing the next day. So people have to understand that these these were not a library. Uh, we didn't have librarians cataloging this stuff, so it is a little bit difficult to research and to dig and find these photos. But in the process of us doing this book and then getting um, the glass plates actually in a list form that we could search, making making them searchable, we realized there were all these other little photos that didn't that we found that you know had no home. And so I would send a picture out a day to the photo editors and say, "Oh my gosh, did you see this picture? It's hilarious!" You know. And my boss, Robin, said, you know, Marion, you have to do something with this. And I, and I said, like, what? And she said, well, can you write a blog? And I said, well, I don't know. You know, everybody's got a blog. And I do like blogs. I just didn't feel like I wanted to write, maybe. <laughs> right, exactly. You, and, got a, um, you got a kid and a husband to worry about. You don't you need know, to be writing a blog. Who's got time for that? But no, really, I think it was, I, I felt like it wasn't the right venue for the photos. And then Robin suggested, how about Instagram? And I said, I'll try that. I think that's a better fit. And when we started it off, and we were so, we're like, Robin and I run it, and we're like kids in a candy store with it. It's just way too much fun for us to do. So, and the response has been amazing. You know, and that's that's one of the interesting things, because I, I followed as well. And the interaction that comes from the people who follow you guys, um, even when you pose a question like, hey, do you know what kind of... Uh, you know, car this guy's driving or, uh, you and, know, it's and it's really interesting how many people uh, it, it's it's a, it's kind of a neat community. It's interactive. Yeah. Yeah. It really it's is. Interactive. I think that that was part of the thing that we wanted to do is to make sure that it was a conversation. Um, I personally and it's probably getting you know too deep, but I feel this is so important for us to be able to show Chicago and the surrounding area. You know, in Illinois, in the Midwest, it's history. And the fact that I was the only one who was really viewing it was sad to me. And I wanted to make sure that I could share this with everyone. And I feel very much like it's a race against time because these negatives are not going to be around forever. So to me, this was like a really important way that we could show people their, their collective history and then talk about it. And the conversations have been fantastic. Some not so fantastic, but you know, I, right. you know, you're, you're going to get all all different types of people viewing the photos, and I think that's really wonderful. Have you had anybody angry on the phone yet about this? Um, I've had one person angry on the phone. It was, you know, the person was very concerned that we had shown a dead body. Um, do it was a picture of a surgery, and um, so we had to talk them through that. That the person it was just a surgery, and they were alive. But yeah. Hmm. I'm always we've had we're, we, when you listen to all the podcasts and you're a subscriber I'm sure um is that I, the, yes 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 just say yes <laughs> 
I can't. I, that's why they got you down in the the technology of being in the basement is is right up your alley. Um, the, uh, the the well, let's move on to the to the current event that okay. you are at the heart of the Stanley Cup Finals and editing those photos and the big parade the other day. Uh, yeah. How exciting was that to be uh, editing John and Brian and everybody's photos as they came in and uh, talk a little about that. Well, it's fabulous. I mean, these guys really do a lot of work planning what's going to happen. You know, we can say, oh, well, you know, we assigned them to it and they went to go do it. It's it's way more than that. They go out and they scope the parade routes. They figure out the vantage point they're going to be at. We call these places. Can we use this balcony? Can we do that? So there's a lot of pre-planning that goes into getting these fantastic photos. And then to see all their hard work come through, to see those photos come out, and and when they start dropping them and sending and sending them into our system, and um, it it's it was a it was a deluge if that's the correct word of photos yesterday. Uh, the 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 entire staff was working at different areas, and seeing all those photos come in, it, it's obviously it's a it's a break it's at a breakneck speed. You know, that things are happening and you're trying to get things up online right away. You're trying to show people what's going on in an instant. Um, it's it's very exciting. Did, so, and working with those photographers is, you know, they're, they're top notch. It's wonderful. Did the, are these guys, how are they, they're, are they dumping into laptops or are they having a continuous dump from their cameras into a wireless hub? They or? do. It depends. You know, we, we, we coordinate with each one. Many of them are just um, sending wireless, wirelessly. Um, they, uh, we, we do the cradle pointing, you know, where they'll just send us a couple photos straight from their camera so that we can get some in and then we'll go ahead and take it from there, you know, the, the cropping, color correcting, but most of them shoot, you know, exactly. I mean, they shoot, they shoot beautifully. We don't have to do much to them. Um, and then some other people that are doing maybe more of the features, we'll just let them go for a little bit. And then when they have, they're at a stopping point, then they'll pull their laptop out you know, edit a little bit, send a little bit, you know, edit some video, send some video. But they also will just send us video clips. We'll edit the video. It's it's definitely, and every individual is going to be different, and we allocate who's going to be the person who's going to be sending to us right away, wirelessly. Cool. Tell us yeah. about the... Um... Well, I, I, I was curious, you said video. I, I want to know, how, how did the trip handle the, uh, the F-bomb on the stage there? Oh, that's a good question. Hi, Chicago! You know, actually, I didn't do video, so I oh, don't know. Okay. <laughs> I didn't do the video. Isn't that terrible? Usually, um, we two ways. We'll either say in the beginning of the video that this video has graphic content, or there may be swear words or something like that. We'll just address it rather than black it out, you know, or, or beep it out. Um, that we prefer to keep things as natural as possible. But I'm actually not sure how that happened, how, how they worked that out. <laughs> if you if you want to, if our listeners uh, want to watch some some really interesting video. Uh, we had uh, the Moline police handed us uh, a a surveillance tape of the worst bar brawl I have ever seen on surveillance oh. tape, and it involves bat wielding, yeah. uh, wow. bar, bar stools throwing, uh, yeah, some one wow. woman, yeah, one woman is throwing uh, billiard balls at at people. It's oh it's crazy. It's it's over well over a thousand hits this morning, and it's like it, a movie, straight out of a movie. Or yeah, something. and and you wish you had a, a cutaway camera because at one point, two I believe two women get into it in the corner of the frame. 
but we can't see them just beating the hell out of each other. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow! Wow. It's, it's uh, man. You know, but I love the the key to the whole thing is that it says two forty something in the morning in the yeah. in the scroll at the top. Nobody needs to be out at drinking <laughs> at two forty three in the morning unless you're walking around with the Stanley Cup. There you go. Right. Wow. That's amazing. Well, that's amazing that you guys got your hands on that footage and, and that they had that footage. You know, you'll probably never see that again. Yeah. No. So. They every once in a while they when they want to out people. Yeah. That, that you know, I mean, it, it's it's one of those things. We go all the way back to the beginning of the conversation when you're talking about the working together with the police. We don't work really yeah. work together with the police, but they felt this was a good way to work with us with all the local media to get that out there. Because let's face it, anybody there, there were going to be a lot of people watching that video that knew people in that video. Like, what were you sure. thinking? You know, <laughs> let mom handle disciplining these kids. Yeah, that's and that's the oh. weirdest thing about the social media thing is you've got people tagging people who are in the video, which is like nice, oh. nice. Thanks to yeah. yeah, wow, way to out your pal. That's right. <laughs> exactly I'm right. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go look this up because now I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, just go to qconline.com and then it's it's down on the video section of the page. Has the Stanley the, the big question of the day is the Stanley Cup been in your office yet? Um, it was downstairs in WGN Studios um, yesterday or the day before. The day before, it's actually coming back next week, I believe. Um, I'm not sure. I know that we will get it in the studio to shoot for ten minutes at some point. Wow! Wow! Well, you got to yeah. make sure you send me the selfie of yourself on the. You know, I know. The, you know, if I can get if I can get close to it, I will. You know, I'm not going to miss that. Yeah, oh, I know. It's because Marion and I are big hockey fans. So the the, <laughs> the the whole Facebook community of hockey fans, it just right. you know during tense games, it's like you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and there were, yeah. There were a lot of tense games. Yes, so yes, and then there's the superstitions. You know, we all made Marianne have really big hair and ride the same bus for yeah. for like three weeks of the playoffs because they won yeah. a really tight game because Marianne like, you know, had crazy big hair that day and, you know, yes. took, took a strange bus. So I also want you to know that my girlfriend who doesn't usually ever go to hockey games went to one of the Hawks home games and they lost. And so then we all barred her from going for the entire <laughs> season. We're like, look, you know, this is the only game you've ever been to and they lost. You're done. Yeah, I have a brother-in-law like that. He went to when Iowa was setting records for wins and wins in a row at home in wrestling. Uh, my brother-in-law Doug showed up for his first and only wrestling meet, and I when I think when Dan Gamble <laughs> found out he was in the building and they had lost, I think you know, yeah, Dan threatened him. He can't. He Coach Gable said he can't ever be in the building again. You know, and ironically, I was sitting next to Doug in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, when the Blackhawks lost to the Kings. Last year, so oh, no. needless to say, didn't watch yeah, any hockey with Doug this year. Yeah, doesn't have a good record. Jeez. Yeah, no, he's like yeah. over ten. I don't mean yeah, to boast. Yeah, my girlfriend. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I just, I just, I don't mean to boast, but I, I uh, turned the game on exactly at the last, or the, exactly at the moment they scored their first goal in the last game. Oh, see, so. see. It's probably. See? I probably deserve the cup for a couple. couple yeah, hours. we. Maybe we can get Marianne to put a bug in their ear just, that they could swing just, by Fifth Avenue here in would, Moline and let a <laughs> selfie with the cup, and then swell. just move on. It'd be awesome. Yeah. Well, I will say that my 13th anniversary was the day that they clinched the cup. So, I mean, you know. There you go. Could also be because you know I got married on June fifteenth. So that's this is, it's all because of us. It's all coming yeah. to quick. Somebody it's call all, Rocky. All about us. That's right. <laughs> somebody call Rocky Words right now and get us on the payroll. That's hockey, baby. All right. <laughs> Marianne, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I just a little bit of proud uh, 
old boss, I just can't tell you Love how it. proud we are of you and <laughs> and you. and how well you're doing and and uh your son is gorgeous and he's uh, looks like an absolutely wonderful kid and uh he is. and uh your your husband's a great guy and we're so glad that life is going well for you and both professionally and personally. And we thank, thank you for you. You know, coming on with us. And, and you were in a really quiet room. Where are you? I'm in a back room of um, the back, way in the back of the sports department, hidden in the dark in this back room that everyone uses for phone calls if they need to. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. That's great. Nice. It's uh, very quiet because nobody's in sports right now, right? Right, yeah. Well, Just before we do, uh, before we click out of here, I was curious, where can you get the book? Where can people, where can we send people? You're, you're, right. good. you're good at this. Boy, look way at ahead. you. I didn't way even ahead. have that on Thank the list you. of things to ask. Um, you can actually go on Amazon. And you can buy it on Amazon.com, obviously. Um, if you're opposed to Amazon or anything like that, um, Barnes & Noble's, Borders, all sorts of wherever they sell books, it's supposed to be there. My my mother and father who live in Bloomington Normal, Central Illinois, they it's at their Barnes & Noble down there. So hopefully you guys would be able to find it. Very cool. Awesome. Buy the book, people. Yay. Keep, keep Marianne in book, in, in book <laughs> editing job. All right. right. <laughs> All right, kiddo. We'll talk to you later. And uh, don't right. hang up, but we're going to, I'm okay. going to hit the record, stop record button, but don't hang up yet. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm Todd Meisner. And I'm Todd Welber. Thanks to Marianne Mather Morgan. And we'll see you next week. The Talking Pictures Podcast is a production of The Dispatch, The Rock Island Argus, and QCOnline.com. To see some of the photos and videos discussed in our podcast, be sure to go to qcnline.com slash multimedia. The music was provided by Kevin McLeod at www.incomputech.com. Talking Pictures is produced by Todd Meisner, Paul Coletti, and Todd Walvert. Thanks to Laura Anderson Shaw, Meg McLaughlin, Laura Frames, and Randy Fisk. Make sure you subscribe to Talking Pictures on iTunes.